when thinking about what to speak to you about, Tom shared with me the passage that came to his mind was Isaiah 6. I actually had a different passage in mind. I had a look at Isaiah 6 and, and immediately, thank you, Tom, I immediately knew that God had used Tom to, to guide me towards, I think, the passage that he would have us focus on today. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to talk a little bit more about the glory of God and focusing on the glory of God. Turn with me, would you please, to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read just seven verses, verses 1 to 7, Isaiah chapter 6. And we did this this morning. I think it was a good thing to do. This is very, very common in American churches, not so common in Australian churches, but would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? It's a demonstration of the regard with which we, we hold these words. Thank you. I'm going to read just these first seven verses. Chapter 6, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah speaking. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. The Lord always blesses the reading of his word. You may be, you may be seated. Here is a vision. Isaiah saw it back at this time. Interestingly speaking, it's picked up again in Revelation chapter 4. We know that one day we too will actually see this. You get the sense, don't you, of Isaiah just scrambling to find language for what it is that he is describing, and we will too one day. And maybe all we will be able to say is to repeat that same refrain, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. My wife once heard that she thinks the very, very first sound that we will hear in heaven is, oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. But here is a remarkable scene, and we, we can observe a couple of things from here. Firstly, it's very, very descriptive, isn't it? The train of his robe filled the temple. The significance of the train of the robe and, and, and why have a, a long train of your robe is it, it did. It spoke of glory and splendor. Materials, particularly fine materials, were in short supply, and so if you were able to... Uh, to sew together and have a, a large train to your robe, it, it, it spoke of tremendous glory. Now, here is the train of the robe, and it absolutely fills the temple. Nancy Ruger, she runs a, a devotional blog. 
she mentions that it is really a symbol of glory and splendor. Somebody has written, air is the atmosphere of earth. God's glory is the atmosphere of heaven. The train of the robe symbolized glory, and it's the whole atmosphere of heaven. Selwyn Hughes notes that absolutely, there is absolutely no room for anything else in that throne room except for the glory of God. The glory of God pushes out all other things and all other persons. And the seraphim are flying around, holy, holy, holy. It's an interesting word. It means to be set apart from and to be set apart for some sort of special purpose. But to declare that God is holy, he is distinctly opposite to everything that he's not. We think of other words when we think of the word holy. We might think of the word pure or true, or perfect, or spotless. In that sense, you could, you could understand the song going something like this, pure, 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 true, 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 perfect, 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 spotless, spotless, spotless. We don't have the language for it except to say that this exclamation was to declare that God surpasses absolutely everything else so distinctly that there is nothing impure that can touch him. And then Isaiah shifts the focus. At one sense, the train of his robe fills the temple, but now the whole earth is full of his glory. The glory of God in heaven has now come to earth. And as the train of the robe pushed everything else out of the temple, so the glory of God is meant to push everything else out of our hearts and our minds so that we are utterly consumed with that picture, the picture of the glory of God. Ted Smith, who was a pianist for the Billy Graham Crusades, once said, many believers gaze at their problems and glance at the Lord. How much better would it be, though, to gaze at the Lord and only glance at our problems? Our song summed this up beautifully before. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Here is a call, like Isaiah, to come and be consumed by the glory of God. And when that is the case, you will find there is not a lot of other room for anything else. But in that context, Isaiah realises, as indeed we would too if we are in his position, that he is very small in comparison to God. God is holy, he is not, and he laments this. At my father-in-law's place is a cupboard, you open the door and you'll see all these little markings uh, along the door, pencil markings of our various children, his and her grandchildren growing up over the years. And I remember as grandpa would sort of note a new birthday and a new mark and so forth, they would look at the other marks and they'd actually feel pretty good 
compared to, you know, the other kids and so forth. But not so much when they looked up to see where grandpa was marked at six foot three. It's very, very easy to feel comfortable with ourselves and fairly contented when we, we measure ourselves against others. We're pretty proud until that moment we realize we don't measure up at all when it comes to the glory and the splendor of God. That's true for all of us. But in that context, understanding our sinfulness, understanding how much we miss the mark of God's holiness is this wonderful good news message of atonement. The seraphim flies with a live coal from the altar and touches, symbolically touches Isaiah's lips and says, see, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The gospel of grace that we live under is like that. It's like a purifying fire. It has power to burn up all impurities, everything that is unholy, everything that is impure, everything that is untrue or imperfect in some way. God's fire can burn it up and atone for our sin. All we need is its touch, the touch of God's holy fire. It's far too easy to measure ourselves against one another and let that be the focus of our attention. Jesus addresses this when he says a fixation with the speck in a brother's eye is really born out of a contentment with the log in our own. I think today is a, is a good call to focus once more on the glory of God, come all of us and feel the touch of God's holy fire so that once again we might be consumed with his glory. In one sense, you might say our vision as a church, our, our central purpose does not change. In fact, at a time like this, we just press on all the more and say, well, let's all the more be abiding disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's all the more see him bring forth from our lives eternal fruit and let's all the more pursue with everything that we have the glory of God. How can we help each other in this, in this task? And I'll just finish with this thought. On her inauguration, apparently Queen Elizabeth had six attendants helping her with the, the train of her robe. It was a, apparently a big, thick purple fabric, very, very heavy, six metres long, three attendants stationed at every two metres, and they were, they were helping her to, to carry that robe. And then, of course, when she was in place, to, to adjust the robe so that it, it reflected perfectly the glory and splendour of this woman who would, who would take the crown of England. Perhaps we too, as God's people, are invited to attend to his robe. When we think of the train of God's robe, we're thinking of his glory. And as his attendants, our job is to, is to follow him and sing his praises and adjust the robe in such a way that it consumes every space that he enters into. 
I guess, firstly, we have to think about the most intimate temple that we're aware of, and that is the temple of our own hearts. And to just to make sure that in our own hearts, each and every one of us, have we made room for the train of his robe to be spread out, his glory and his splendor to be spread out throughout our hearts and our minds, our, our entire lives, to consume us so that the temple of the Holy Spirit within each and every one of us is filled with the glory of God. That's what we should attend to first. But then let's help one another to make sure that in our conversations and in our praises, in our gatherings, at every opportunity we have, we are pointing people back to God and back to his glory. We are making sure that it is not just us that is consumed with the glory and the splendor of God, but, but the whole family of God that we keep pointing each other to Father. Yes, I know, but look at Father. Yes, I know, but Father. Sure, but Father. Look at him. Look at his glory. And we do well. We are good attendants to God and good attendants to one another when our focus is just making sure that the train of his robe fills the temple of his people, the body that Christ has built as well. Obviously, a time like this leaves us with questions, and it's difficult to know, well, what do I do with those questions? I'm going to invite Tom to actually come and close in a moment, and he'll speak to a little bit of that. But, but here is a couple of, of thoughts for you. You are not, in any sense of, in which you are finding yourself a little bit confused or bewildered in these matters, you are not alone. The Spirit of Christ indwells you, Jesus is near, and your heavenly Father is very attentive to your every prayer. So turn your heart to Father God. And I believe you can ask him to help you understand what is going on in your heart in a given moment. Help me to understand what I'm feeling, Father. Let him speak into that. And here's another question that you might want to ask of him as well. That is quite simply, Father, this is confusing. What do I need to know? What do I need to know to be all that you have called me to be? And then simply to ask him to reveal it to you. He won't hold back important knowledge that you need to grow in your Christian life to be more like Jesus. He won't. Let me pray with you, and then I'm going to just ask Tom to, to come and close with a, with a few remarks, which I know this morning were very, very helpful, and, and appreciate that, Tom. Heavenly Father, we, we are grieving somewhat today. We are really receiving news that things are going to be different. We're going to miss the leadership of Sam and Andrew in our midst, their care and their shepherding. 
And that is a loss. And yet we understand in your sovereignty that, as Sam has said, whilst there is still much we don't understand and there is mystery here, it feels like you are doing this. And so we say we trust you. We trust you, Father. Would you bless our congregation? Would you cause us to gather at the cross, to gather before Jesus, to encourage one another, to keep singing your praises and pointing one another to you? And together, we would declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Therein is our hope. Thank you, Jesus. Focus our thoughts, we pray. Guide us in these days. We commend our church into your care. Amen. Thank you, Tom. it's a little bit difficult to know at times like this to know exactly what to say. Hello? Okay, there we go. I admit at times like this, it's, it's a little difficult to know what should be said. Like you, I am grieving. And grief is natural at a time like this. We all feel it. And so I've been asked to just share a few words with the congregation. What do we do? with this, this situation, this, this information. I want to begin with a charge to Stuart and to Sam, to Braun, to Andrea. First of all, I want to commend you two men for your openness and transparency before us. I have seen in a great many churches that would prefer to sweep this under the rug and to hide it. But these two men in love and respect for one another and love and respect for this church and a deep love for Jesus have chosen the harder path to put it before the congregation and to say, Here's where we are. Pray for us. I see in both of them a deep, deep love for this church. And so I commend the both of you for your openness and transparency and honesty in standing before us. That isn't easy. And so my charge to both of you is to strive for peace and for personal holiness this does not relieve 
anybody of that obligation to strive for peace. But rather, it raises the bar even higher because we are all brought into it to pray for them, to come alongside them, to even challenge them and to encourage them along the way. This is now our opportunity to strive for peace and to help shepherd our shepherds to that path of peace. So what do we as a church do with this? How do we respond? Four thoughts come to my mind that I would like to share with you. The first is I want to encourage you to think the best and not the worst about everybody involved in this. Think the best of each of them. I love what Paul says to the Corinthians, take every thought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is easy to run and speculate and wonder, and that is rarely helpful. Choose to think the best and not the worst of all people. Secondly, if you have questions or concerns, talk to the council. I have appreciated working with this council over the last year, and I have found them to be people of prayer, people who truly want to know what is true. They truly seek what is right, and they will listen. And if appropriate, they will share information. But their desire is to love and to respect all people involved. That is the appropriate place to take your concerns. Third, I feel very strongly about this one. Do not give room for the enemy to be at work in this. The enemy loves to do his work from within. And if that doesn't work, he will bring something in from the outside. He loves to stir up congregations from within. And he often does this. I think the word of Isaiah is such a powerful word for us. Isaiah declares, I am a man of unclean lips. I have found in my years of ministry that the sins of our lips are the most damaging and the most difficult to deal with. Scripture tells us that God inhabits our praise. But brothers and sisters, the enemy inhabits our gossip. And I charge you not to listen or speak words of gossip, but only what is helpful and for what is good for building up the body of Christ. Do not be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. He would love to use this for his purpose. And finally, this reminder that we, we must ask ourselves as a congregation, what is God's invitation 
in this. It's a difficult patch of road. I understand that. But what is God inviting us to in this season as a church and as individuals? The will of God is our sanctification to make us more and more like Jesus. And so every one of us needs to ask constantly, God, what is your invitation? What is going on in my heart before you? Not so much what is going on in the other person's heart. What is going on in my heart? And what are you inviting me into that will make me more and more like Jesus? He will use this for the greater purpose of perfecting and shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus if we will cooperate with him. Brothers and sisters, we share this journey as a family. And I charge each of us to seek the unity of the body of Christ in the bonds of peace, as Scripture calls us. I want to conclude just with these words of blessing. Paul's words to the Corinthian church, a church that certainly understood difficult times and understood conflict. And Paul dealt with that. And so he, he concludes with these words. Finally, brothers, rejoice. And I look forward to the day when we will rejoice as we have worked through this. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want to reiterate publicly before you, Sam, I love you as a brother. I worked alongside you. We have ministered together. And I love you as a fellow shepherd of the flock. And Stuart, I love you. And we have ministered together and we have worked alongside one another. And I respect you as a fellow shepherd of the flock. And Bron and Andrea, we have all worked alongside co-laborers in the same field. We are still brothers and sisters. This doesn't change that. But I charge you, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. Let me pray for you, and let me pray for us as a church. Our Father, this has been a sobering day. 
Yet once again, at the end of this day, we want to recommit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the gospel of peace, to you and your purposes. And we stand on the authority of your word and we receive the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for Sam and Andrea and for their kids. Father, bless them. Fill them with your peace and your presence. And may we as a congregation know how to come alongside them and love them and care for them during this season. And we pray for Stuart and Bronwyn. We thank you for them, and we ask, Father, that you would minister to them as well. And help us as a congregation know how to come alongside and love and care for them as the shepherds of this congregation. In all things, help us to stand against any work of the enemy, to be united together in the bonds of peace, to exalt Jesus in our midst, to be consumed by his holiness, to confess our own sin so that we may stand before our holy, holy, holy God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Protect this family from any work of the enemy. Guard our lips. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.